Welcome back. So last week we discussed the three basic uh, psychological needs as understood by modern motivational psychology, meaning the self-determination uh, theory, right, of competence and relatedness and autonomy. And we also discussed the Mishnah and Perkeavos. And we said that wouldn't it be great and sheer worthy if those two things went together? That's because really what they're discussing the same topic, right? The video game people, right? Uh, you know, Professor Video Game wants to build a world that stands, right? He wants to build a long-lasting world that people will live in. Uh, and they actually used the word, this I heard in an interview, um, he used the word that we want to give people as fulfilling an experience as we can. Right? So he wants you to be fulfilled in this world that he's built for you. You should be fulfilled. Isn't that nice? And so for sure, we, in constructing our own worlds, which we do, um, should follow suit and creating worlds for ourselves that are fulfilling. And if Chazal are teaching me how worlds work, so here we go. Right? Maybe contained within there is uh, the information that we need. And I don't just want it to be... Um, that, you know, I could find a way to link the two uh, ideas, you know, the Mishnah and the, and the, and the theory. Okay. Uh, that's happy fun time, but I would like the Mishnah to be teaching me something. Um, you know, there should be a further depth to it, to the Chazal, over the, the, the self-determination theory, right? Chazal should trump the psychologist, ultimately. So... I mean, they also, I mean, they beat them to the punch by you know, a couple thousand years, which is also nice. But, you know, I still would expect them to have more depth. So let's take a look at the Chazal in light of self-determination theory. And let's see if it exposes any um, depth that maybe we weren't first aware of when we saw that Chazal. So the first thing that you're going to need in your life... Okay, this life that you're building, or the world that you're building is the term we're using right now. Okay, it's yours and it's yours alone. You're the only one that lives in that world. And you're the only one ultimately responsible for the contents of that world. Okay, there's a lot about life we don't get to choose. Right, tall and short and white and black and stupid and smart and rich and poor and strong and weak. Right? Our families, our neighborhoods, the language that we speak, the culture that raised us. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And then all of the things you got to do. You got to pay the bills. You got to right, mow the lawn, take out the garbage, brush your teeth, whatever. Okay, these, are, um, these are all uh, things that we don't have a choice about. But within all that, everyone still constructs uh, a world to live in, even in all that. Right? We have a certain amount of uh, freedom to construct our own life. And we're going to need, to the extent that we can control it, we're going to need certain elements to be there. Okay? Now, the first element that you must have for your life to stand is Torah. Torah. Now, Torah 
oddly, is um, that Ferris Shal says Torah is about your relationship with self. Okay? Now, a simple approach to that would be, you know, because the Torah tells you what you need to be doing, right? And the Torah is one that gives you all these mitzvos that uh, have to do with, uh, you know, controlling yourself and amidos and all this other stuff. But that is uh, a little superficial because the Torah here is being contrasted with Gmilas Chasadim, which is pretty much, you know, the vast majority of being on the Chavero mitzvos, and Avoda, which is... Uh, you know, tefillah or korbanos, which is a lot of the Benam Lamakam stuff to it. So, Torah here, what is it referring to specifically? You know, everything included in the Torah. I mean, the Torah is everything. The whole universe was created out of the Torah. Right? So, what, what is being referred to here? So, if we put on our self-determination theory, our SDT goggles for this, and we look at our uh, list here, so Torah is... Uh, Really, if we look at it as Limura Torah, okay, if what we're talking about is Limura Torah, and um, admittedly this part here is really addressed more to the men. So, Torah really links up very strongly with a sense of mastery and competence, okay? Your, this is optimal, Chazal telling us. Torah and Limura Torah for us, is the place to develop a sense of competence, a sense of effectiveness, a sense of being good at something. The thing that you should be good at is Torah. Okay? And, and uh, for all of us learners, or former learners, or learner alumni, or emeritus, or however uh, you say it, so you're familiar with the idea that the Torah has uh, endless levels of complexity to it. Right? There is no being done with learning, and there's no being done with developing your learning skills, okay? There's no end to the, the, the depth and, and complexity of the thoughts that you can have. And you could see it when you read Achronim, you know, so they're already playing with Shas and Poskim in a way that you can't even imagine, right? What it's like to have Shas in your head and you're referencing Gemara's back and forth and it gets insane. And then even just all the way down to us little people on the page, just the shock of Atari and Rashi, seeing how Rashi and Tosfos differ, seeing how Rav and Abai differ, right? what was Rashi doing there, all that stuff, those are skills that you gain and you learn and sensitivities and things, and you get good at it. At whatever level you're at, you get good at it, and there's always more. So you can have this sense of being a competent learner, a sense of developing skill and learning, and that that can be a continual process that will, it will not end. Right? It's a fantastic arena for developing a sense of mastery and competence. Okay, most jobs that are out there, many, not most, many jobs that are out there, there is a skill set that you need to develop, but once you have developed that skill set, there's not really any need to continue uh, further, right? It's not necessary to get any better. You're good, right? You're the best. You do a great job, you knock it out of the park. Okay? It's not an endless uh, you know, ladder that you're climbing. There is a top uh, that you're going to hit. And a lot of times people who get to those stages they have a very difficult time because they've uh, 
worked and worked and worked, and then what? And now what? And the truth is that even in learning, so uh, I had this experience. This is going to sound like an advertisement for Birkas Torah, but it's the truth. Where I learned in other yeshivas for about eight years before I came to Birkas, and it was very challenging for me. Okay, my Hebrew was okay, but you know, not. Uh, you know, I was originally learning, you know, with the Jastro dictionary, and uh, and working very hard to just understand what was going on, and uh, slowly developed my ability to think and my ability to learn and my sensitivity to language over years and then uh, in Zechon Yaakov I had already attained a level of competence um, in learning where I could go through the sugya, ashitosis, basic rishonim, into the achronim and read like the you know latter day Rosh Hashivas and Achronisha people like the Kuntra Seishiwarim and all these people putting it all together and I could do that Right? And I remember going to Zichron, Rosh Hashiva's Shir, he gives Mari Makomos every day. He's a very organized man. Uh, he gives Mari Makomos every day, puts on an index card. And I remember when I first got there, I told my Chavrusa, um, uh, Rav Berzansky Shlita, I told him, I'm like, does anyone ever get through all of these Mari Makomos? So he was laughing. Um, he said, you know, we'll do our best. And so at a certain point, I would... Uh, be able to rip through those Mari Makomos with time to spare in the mornings. And then you come to Shear and it's like, yeah, the Urim Vitumim on this side and the what do you call it on the other side and we really look at the way that the Xos did it, so it's uh, so forth. But we did our article on the Kuntrasay Sveikis and the, blah 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 and of Gustman and everything, you throw it all together. And okay, I did that. And at that point I stopped enjoying uh, learning because it had been a struggle that whole time to get to that point. But at this point now, I can kind of read and process everything. Um, now what? And at that point, I stopped being fulfilled, and I started getting frustrated. And it was a difficult uh, period of time. I, at one point, actually decided to leave Yeshiva and go back home. I was done. Um, and so thank God. Uh, Rosh Hashiva there was a very insightful man, and he helped me through that stage uh, and started pushing me to go to a different yeshiva. And then I met my wife, and through her, her father, who started introducing me to a whole new way to relate to the Gemara with moves and syllogisms and uh, methods and these kind of things. And it, it uh, woke up a whole different thing for me, and thank God, since then, that fateful day, uh, when I came to Birkas Torah, was introduced to Rabbi Tagger and his share, I, uh, it's never happened again. Okay, I've I've never had the feeling again that I I did it, that I was top of the skill set, whatever. Okay, I always feel like I'm growing and developing, and my skills are getting better. Right, that is fact. That's a historical fact. That story. Okay, but that's the job. The job is that you have to construct a life where you're going to be getting a sense of competence and mastery that is not going to run out on you. Okay. Because it's only fulfilling in the sense that it's developing. Okay, I'm good at this and I'm getting good at this. That's a famous story of Rabbein used to tell about Shimon Shkup when he was Nifter. I think it was him that was Nifter. And one of the other Rabbeim who was there at the funeral like waved his hands like, ah, yeah, he was just getting good, you know. <laughs> he, was, he was just getting good at it. So that's uh, it's a funny thing to say, but that's the feeling that you have. 
when you're learning, you should always have that feeling. Please, God. Okay, so what Chazal could be telling us, if I look at it through the SDT glasses, uh, Chazal is saying, listen, Torah and Limura Torah and your engagement with Torah is a place that you can have a sense of mastery and competence that will never abandon you. You'll have a sense that, hey, here's something that I'm good at, here's something that I can do that I'm effective at. Right? At whatever level you are. At whatever level you are. And it's a skill set that can be developed endlessly. And for the rest of your life, you'll just get better and better at it. All right? We get better as we get older. That is, uh, I believe, step one. Okay? So whatever life you're building, says SDT, says Professor SDT, Professor Video Game, whatever life you're going to build, it must include some sense of mastery and competence. Video games can only give it to you to a limited sense, right? Where there's a, an excitement and a thing to growing your, uh, whatever kind of games you guys play, but to growing your abilities and your skills and what you call it at a certain point. So now you're, uh, you're top of the game, right? You can kill anyone, do anything, you have all the weapons, all the things, and then okay, so now we're moving on. So with Torah, that's never going to happen, okay? And you will always be fulfilled vis-a-vis -vis your need for a sense of mastery and competence, okay? Torah is the answer to that problem. Every other area in your life where you're trying to establish that is going to frustrate you eventually, okay? There isn't another thing like the Torah out there. There isn't. Or if there is, so uh, let me know. It could be in like abstract mathematics. Right? It, it could be in the academic world. There's a... Uh, right? Math has a lot of similarities to what we do. So it could be. Right? But for us, Torah is the place to do that. And it's accessible to everyone. As opposed to abstract mathematics, it's accessible to everyone. Everyone can get good at learning where they are. Okay? And you can get that sense and it can fulfill you. That's number one. Number two, Milas Chasodim, clearly uh, connected to the sense of relatedness, which you've said is about relationships. And specifically, the sense that they're looking for, that we need, is that I matter to someone and they matter to me. Okay? A, rela a real relationship in that sense. Right? That and that Chazala telling you uh, comes through doing chesed for people, right? And this maybe sounds poshit, but um, in, in the theory of thinking about it, but Lamaisa, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's a bit of a chiddush in terms of the way people live. You want relationships that matter. You want to matter to people and to feel like, right? You want to have the sense that you matter to people and they matter to you. Take care of them, okay? Don't think so much or to some extent at all, about things coming the other direction, right? How people make you feel, okay? How do, how do we develop relationships? Relationships are built, for the most part, on how other people make us feel, right? If you feel good with your, when you're around someone, so you are attracted to them, I'm not talking male-female attraction, even friends, you like hanging out with them and being with them because they make you feel good, right? And people that when you hang with them, you feel bad, Unless you have some weirdo childhood pattern that you're living out, you stay away from those people. Right? That's how we do. And so we feel then that these relationships, if I hang out long enough with uh, people that it feels good to me to hang out with, you know, relationships will be born. And sometimes they are, but many times they're not. And many times you have all kinds of people that you hang out with 
and that it's fun to hang out with and you feel good with and there's still no, no there's not enough depth there to satisfy right you're not having the this sense of relatedness and connectedness where I feel like I matter to them or if one of these guys would disappear it would make a big difference to me right it would matter one way or the other and this was a in yeshiva, one thing that you notice, one guy just spoke to me about being disturbed by it, is no matter how long a guy was there, or what his uh, deal was, when he leaves, so, you know, life continues, yeshiva continues. Right? The, the water closes up after them, and eventually you don't even know that they were there. And that's a scary thing, right? Because, it, you know, it feels to us like there should be some significant difference with the presence or absence of a human being in a relatively small uh, culture like ours. But you see that it's, uh, you know, maybe not as true as we would hope. But why? We, we could hang out with each other, we could have a good time, we could be connected. But if you don't have this sense of us mattering, right? It was being significant, which really is a, a sense of kavod also. But if, if you don't have that, so then it's, uh, it's something that's fun while it's there, but it's not going to be missed necessarily. Uh, when we were in Zichron, uh, we, I mean me, so weddings were like a very big deal, right? When friends or relatives or whoever would get married, it was a very big deal because you had to travel. Generally, weddings were like Thursday night, whenever it was. You had to travel all the way to Yushalayim, um, which means you ain't coming back the same day, so you would miss, you know, minimum two days of uh, yeshiva, right? Because you'd leave in the morning to get there on time and da da da, and then you have to stay the night and you come back the next day. You never, you know, you always come back late. Right, so you, you, you ruin a couple of days of learning to go to these weddings. So Rabbi Black had a very, a uh, little more stringent view of which weddings were you allowed to go to, right? It, it's a halakhic question. It's a Rabbi Beller question. Right, am I allowed to mavatal my limud to go to this wedding? Should I? Right, so his psaq was, because right, some people wanted to think about it, you know, that by being there, I'll make him happy. Right, if I go... I'll be misameach l'chasam. Okay, and that's a mitzvah. And therefore I should go. And the black said, you need to ask a different question. Okay? And it's, it, it's, a, it's a much more machmir kind of question to ask. You have to ask not, will he be happy to see me? But will he notice my absence? Naha. Right? Will my not being there negatively impact his wedding experience? Hey, you hear that this is a way more machmir line. Because there are many, many people that I would be delighted to see right now. Okay? There's a whole bunch of people, no idea how many, but that I have met in my life or interacted with, that if they would show up right now, I would have a delightful time interacting with them. Okay? But do I feel their absence now? I don't even remember who they are right now. Okay? Their absence is not impacting me negatively in any sense. Why? Because they don't matter to me really. That is uh, a very different kind of question. So how do you get that kind of relationship? Because all I'm telling you, you get it, not by finding like-minded people and uh, that kind of stuff. People make you feel a certain way. And this kind of, I don't care if they're like-minded or not. I don't care if they make you feel good or not. You can have this kind of relationship with people by taking care of them. You do chesed. Okay? And chesed, remember, means it's not coming from the other person at all. 
Okay, Avram Avinu did chesed for the people of stone by davening for them. Okay, chesed means there's nothing coming from the recipient. Chesed is just me. That's what I do. I take care of you. Oh, you stink. You're a drunk. You're whatever you are. It doesn't matter. I'm going to take care of you anyway because that's me. I'm a guy that takes care of people. When you become that person, amazingly, although in a certain sense, um... You feel like that shouldn't really create relationships necessarily because you're just the guy that takes care of everyone. It does. And if you would uh, read the biography that uh, Riggler, uh, Mr. Riggler wrote about um, Machlis, any Machlis. Uh, so this is a woman who basically dedicated her life to taking care of people, many stinky drunk people included. Um, that's all she did. Her daughters were in school with my wife, and when my wife told them that she was going to Fakim, which has a dormitory, so this is, it was twin daughters. This was their reaction. <gasps> a dorm! Do you have any idea how much chesed you could do in a dorm? They were like delighted with the idea of living in a dorm because, wow, there's so many people to take care of. So much chesed you could do there. Uh, this is the kind of girls that this lady raised. Right? That's where they lived. They were chesed people. And when you talk to people, and it's not just her, read any biography about anybody chesed. When you read the accounts of people, they all feel like they were her best friend, right? That they had a special relationship. So it's a bizarre kind of thing where, you know, you would think that by being a chesed person, taking care of anyone and everyone, whoever shows up at her door, regardless of uh, pretty much anything, that that would lead to, you know, less, less depth of relationship, right? And yet, you read the stories in the biographies, and like I said, not just her, other ones that I've seen, uh, it comes out the other way. People feel like they have a very special relationship, but you get a sense of real connection when you take care of people. And it was true that she had a special relationship. It wasn't just that they felt it. She really did. She really did. She really, because she thought about them. I have other, my wife has stories of interacting with her. Right? It's like she remembered people, remembered things about each person. She think about them all the time. That means that they matter. When you take care of someone else, you're saying that you matter, right? That's what it is. You're somebody worth taking care of. You're someone that's worthwhile for me to take care of. You're giving them a sense that they matter. And when that happens, it, they reciprocate, right? And now you are a person that matters to them um, because of what you've done for them, because you start to play a significant role in their life. And now a relationship is created. We have two people that matter to each other, but you just decide. You understand what chesed is? Chesed, you're just deciding. I'm deciding that this person's going to matter to me. Okay, that's the trick. You want to have relationships where you get a sense that they matter to me and you matter to them? So decide that this person matters to you. Take care of them. Not just decide, but behave as if they mattered and they will begin to matter. That's how it works. That's it. It's a simple trick. Okay? You want relationships that fulfill in the, uh, in the SDT system, say chazal, do chesed for people. Take care of them, treat them as if they mattered, and they will matter. And you will matter to them, and you will be taken care of on point number two. Now point number three, which is a sense of autonomy or volition, uh, which we defined as a sense that my life, in a meaningful sense, uh, you know, my life is a result of choices that I made. Okay, that I'm calling the shots, I'm telling the story. So the only one left we have in the Mishnah 
is a voida, right? Which I'm going to skip korbanos because you know I don't understand korbanos, and jump right to nowadays, which means tefillah, right? So tefillah is going to go together with autonomy, is a very interesting um, mix, right? It's not what you would automatically put together. But I have one perspective on it that I think makes it make a lot of sense. Um, but I'm open to uh, anybody's thoughts about this, assuming anyone's still listening to these shiurim. Like this. Our life, this is we pointed out when we spoke about autonomy the first time, but our life is not autonomous. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And the real problem is, is that we believe in God. And when you believe in God, so autonomy becomes like, like a laughable kind of thing, right? Because you're a created being with no ability to sustain your own existence on any level, right? And everything that you have and that you are was created and is, it's a story being written by somebody else. And in some magical sense, you've gotten the ability to choose. And let's just accept that it's real, even though it's, you know, it's a big debate. But let's accept that we legitimately have the ability to choose things. But even all those choices, the vast majority of them, and ultimately, as you develop all of them, um, Hashem has some ideas for us about which one we're supposed to pick, with consequences either way. Right? So even in the so for the you know the vast majority of life, Hashem basically just did it straight up. But in this, uh, and even in the in the the world where I get to choose, Hashem told me choose this, choose that, choose this, choose this, choose this, choose that. Right? Wake up now. Right? Wake up before 9.15. It's Mount Krishna. Davin, with a minute. Come back. Tefillin, Talos, Brachos, I have all these things I have to do all the time. Even my choice ability has been uh, taken from me. I get told what to do with 24-7, and then you add to that the whole human world that I live in. Forget it. Right? So a sense of autonomy would seem to be uh, very distant from a uh, you know, ultra-Orthodox Haredi fanatic such as myself. So, what are you going to do? So what you're going to do is daven. Now, davening is a, is a bit of a problem for a religious person, right? And this, uh, the yeshiva was lucky enough to almost do, uh, we did about half of it, the Tefillah Sisharim book, right? We spent a lot of time in the winter learning about Tefillah. So one of the things that came out from a lot of the different perushim about Tefillah is, you know, questioning what is it really? Right, because you know, you're not really asking God to do things other than the things that God was planning on doing anyway, because that would be the worst idea ever. Right? Well, I don't want to go with my plan. What do I know? Besides the chutzpah you know, like, I'm not sure what you're doing, God, but I, you know, down here I can tell. I think this is a better plan. And it's ridiculous, the whole idea of davening. When there's, if you didn't have God, then you should be davening. <laughs> right? But if you have a God, so what are you davening about, man? There's a God. He's taking care of it. Don't worry. Right, chill. He's got it. He thought of that too. So davening for us, so for a lot of the mafarshim there, um, you know, the, the Rishonim and Achronim who are discussing what davening is, davening for the most part uh, said them as a recognition that there, uh, the way Rabbi Green said is that there is no other address for these things. A recognition that everything that I have um, in every area of life both personally and communally, and all these things, that Hashem is the, uh, he's the source and root of all that stuff too. Okay? Everything. Right, my das, my brain, like we're learning about in the Rashba and the Gadata this week. Everything. 
thoughts, feelings, actions, words, my health, my, the troubles I'm in, right? How inspired I am to do tshuva, right? Being forgiven, having parnasa, everything. Jewish people scattered worldwide, being brought back there to Israel, kibbutz galios, okay? The amount of justice in the world, how wicked people prospering and, or not, tzaddikim prospering or not, right? Yushalayim being rebuilt, Mashiach, everything. Recognizing over and over again that the Hashem, is, Hashem is the source of all this stuff. And you, and you do Shevach first, right? As the Rashba explained there, you do Shevach first in order to get clear in your head who you're talking to, right? Get geared up for the process here. So I thought in line with that, that remember we said that when we talk about autonomy or volition, um, what we mean is not that I'm not following someone else's rules. But that if I am, that was my choice, right? As we all follow other people's rules, but to a certain extent, I, to the extent that I can feel like I chose that relationship, that I chose that position, I chose that person to listen to their rules, right? I feel autonomous, though. I don't feel dictated to, right? Like you choose a, uh, you know, the, you choose a doctor, right? You research and you find this guy, and he impresses you, his credentials and uh, testimonials and whatever. And so you have selected and chosen to follow his, uh, to follow his uh, prescription, his regimen, whatever he gives you. And he tells you, listen, you got to exercise 20 minutes every day. You got to cut out the white sugar and white flour, which they always say for some reason, right? You have to, uh, I want you doing five minute mindfulness exercise in the morning when you wake up, whatever, his whole little program for uh, lower stress and better cholesterol and no more or less back pain, whatever you got, certain stretches, certain exercises, and it's unpleasant, I don't have time for this stuff, and it's painful, and I hate exercise, and mindfulness seems like some weirdo thing that I'm not into, but I do it all, and I follow orders, like, oh, you're not autonomous, of course I am, I'm the one who did this. I picked this guy, I paid him tremendous amounts of money. I'm obeying his every word, because I chose to put him in charge of this aspect of my life. And I made that choice because I did the research and saw that this is someone worthy of that position. So, somebody worth listening to. So I thought that the tefillah process, if done properly, would be the same thing. Right? The tefillah process, if you're doing it right and you're recognizing through the Shavach, Bakash the whole system, you're recognizing over and over again how everything uh, comes from Hashem. Right? That every aspect of this story that we're in is uh, part of the story that's being written not by me, but by God, and without any exceptions. Every, the tiniest detail. That is a uh, fact. And the more that you get that, the more you're able then to um, choose to put Hashem in charge, right? That's sort of like you're doing like a little like research through the davening. You're doing, you know, research on God. And the conclusion that you'll come to if you're doing it honestly is, is that, wow, this is really a guy who should be in charge. I, I should really be listening to him, right? Once you recognize that every aspect of your life, without exception, are all dependent entirely on Ratzon Hashem, because he's the one doing it all, right? So it makes absolute sense for me to place myself under his control. 
right? To crown him my king would be a very reasonable uh, and natural response to the realizations that you get during a good Shemona Esrei, right? And so I, I thought of an idea that, listen, that Chazal are addressing the problem. Chazal are saying, listen, we know self-determination theory, and we know that you need a sense of autonomy and volition, okay? And we also know that you live in a system of Torah mitzvot, okay, besides all the other things that you live with that seem to negate autonomy. And we're telling you, use tefillah. Use tefillah to keep your sense of God straight in your head. That's what tefillah is for. This is about your relationship with God. And God doesn't talk much uh, anymore. But you're getting a clear concept of Hashem from the davening is so critical. And what, it's, it's what, it, what it can accomplish for you is it can reinforce every tefillah. Shachar, min chamayr, shachar, min chamayr. Every single one, if done right, you can walk away, and with the SDT glasses on, you can walk away with it feeling good again about this choice that you made to live a religious lifestyle, to live in a world where I'm going to accept Hashem's commandments, right? because I remember what Hashem is, and I, and I forget very quickly, but then there's Mincha, like, oh, right, I made this choice for a reason, and then there's Mayrev. You know, it's like when uh, my wife and I were first married, so we, uh, we had some money, money, monetary. We had some money um, difficulties. Um, like we didn't, not right we got married, we had a little wedding money, but a period of time after that, um, we ran out of money. I used up our money. My first year in yeshiva, I did not receive a uh, stipend of any kind. Um, I think my in-laws helped us out, and my father was helping out. We had another other people helping us out, but it was uh, touch and go there. And uh, you know, I have the classic Kolo miracle stories of money, magic money showing up, you know, exactly the right amounts, exactly the right times. And there was a closeness to Hashem that we had then that uh, we haven't really had since money-wise. Um, there's something magical about being in that world, but uh, also very stressful. So sometimes we would start to break down because the stress was too much of not knowing all the time. How are we gonna pay for stuff? How are we gonna pay the rent? Um, you know, and counting and recounting the money to see maybe it would uh, sort of magically multiply itself while you weren't looking, which happened once, by the way. Different, uh, different time for that story. But so sometimes we would break down because the stress level was too high. And some people break down and the, and the correct response is like, okay, we can't live this lifestyle, right? That might be the healthy um, answer for some people. But my wife and I, when, when this would happen, what we needed to do, we would sit down and we would rediscuss why we chose this lifestyle. And I didn't realize we were doing that. You know, it wasn't like, well, according to self-determination theory, well, what we're feeling here is a lack of autonomy. So, but we were doing that because it made it okay. That was the life that we were leading had demands on us, of us, that were very difficult to, uh, to deal with. Right? Our life was demanding, uh, you know, uh, that we live with a certain level of, uh, of fear and uh, uncertainty and stuff. It was very difficult for a human being to live with. So, but what we did was we sat down and we, and we thought again about options and how we don't have to be in this lifestyle. We can go and get regular jobs and so on and so forth. And then we would think through again 
why we chose this Kolo lifestyle, learning lifestyle, and why it was important to us. And by making that choice, I made it okay. And in the context of our current conversation, it, what it gave us was a sense of autonomy. Where we now felt that this life, with its difficulties and stuff, was our choice and our doing. We're the, we were the authors of that particular uh, difficult time, a difficult chapter in the story. And that made it okay. okay. And that's not the point of this talk now, you know, about, uh, you know, making difficulties easier to deal with, although it does. But that is necessary over and over again. And so life, as a religious person, for sure you feel your autonomy uh, is severely restricted. You can't eat where you want or when you want or what you want. All right? You can't sleep when you want or as much as you would want. Okay? And forget uh, man-woman relationships. Forget it. All right? Really, you don't get 90%, 90-whatever percent of what you wanted. Uh, I'm talking to the men still, obviously. That is, uh, right, restrictions, restrictions, restrictions everywhere. So, because they're all telling you, use the tefillah, man. Tefillah is you sitting down. It's like me and my wife sitting down and re-talking our choice to be in Kolo. Right? Tefillah, don't sit down, stand up. Stand up and rethink God. And I, I, I have uh, had the pleasure of um, you know, teaching the Chovos for, for many years at this point. And one of the things that brings up is conversations about God with people. And what's clear is that people are not getting their picture of God from the davening. Okay? Because the picture you get of God in the davening is awfully positive. Right? Read through the davening. Now next time you do that. Okay? The, if you would come with a blank slate and let the let chakras paint a picture of God for you, okay, it's a pretty good picture. Okay? It's a it's an excellent, extremely positive picture. And it's a picture of something that I would voluntarily put myself in service to of for? I don't know what the right thing is there. Okay? That's what Tila is uh that's a thing that tefillah is meant to be. And that would be the lesson that we're giving us. And think about it. So, so the three things would be like this. We put it all together. Okay, number one, we need a world where we have a sense of competence and mastery. And Chazar telling you, do it in the Torah. The Torah is the best place. Besides that, you're getting limanat Torah. It's also functionally the best place for competence and mastery. Okay, because at every level, you have what to get good at and things to move forward into. Number two, you want relationships where you matter to someone and they matter to you, so take care of them. Right? Declare through your actions that they matter. And guess what? You're going to have relationships with people that matter. Right? It's something you just do. You're sitting around waiting for, waiting for some relationship where, where you'll matter to each other. Decide that they matter. And try that one on. And thirdly, for a sense of autonomy, Hazar telling us it's a difficult thing to feel free in a world where you're pretty much from how you use the bathroom to how you're allowed to sleep, you know, which side to sleep on. Um, all of it dictated by Hashem and Chazal. Uh, they're telling you, davening, 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 davening. Get up there, get in there, get over there, and daven, and paint a picture of Hashem again. 
walk into the davening, clear the God file out of your head. Walk into davening and be introduced to God again. Like, oh, right, God, that's why I do this. And your sense of autonomy will be there, and it's, and it's, it's legit autonomy, right? That's the greatest, that's the clearest choice that anybody's ever made. Right? Is the, the choice to be mamlech Hashem when you recognize what he is, okay? There's, there is no other uh, honest response to that. So these three things Chazal giving us would be the three... Uh, the three magic keys for the three doors, right, would uh, match up nicely with the requirements of a, of a world, as uh, told by Professor Video Game with the SDT theory. That is my idea. And where I want to go from here is, we spoke a little bit before about um, lowly spas, right, using external motivations. And uh, I want to, I need to put one more piece down that would be very short about um, personality types and the uh, effect personality has on motivation. And then I want to take the three areas and show you a progression of how these things play out. Um, and in that progression, you will um, hopefully uh, find a useful pattern. Uh, I know I have, but a very practical guide to development, human development. Uh, and engagement. Please, I will continue that next week.